Hi, and welcome to Futures Collective. My name is Akhil Kamal, and I'm really excited to have you join. These quick pod episodes explore the topics of failure, legacy, productivity, and leadership with young people who are changing the game in their industries. My guest today is Bryn Antikin, who founded The African Soup, an organization addressing the needs of 300 orphans in rural Uganda by equipping teachers, engaging learners, and empowering communities. Bryn is also the executive director of the Watson Institute Boulder, where she works to empower the next generation of entrepreneurial leaders. Let's get to it. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Bryn. I know we've been in touch for a while and we finally got there. So I appreciate, um, you know, finally being able to do this. I'm really excited for what's to come. Yeah, of course. I'm so excited to be able to talk with you. <laughs> Amazing. So we'll dive straight in. So the first question I've got for you is around failure. Um, so I'd love to hear what's been your biggest failure and what you've taken away from that. Yeah, well, um, if you put my failures beside my successes, I think that my failures would really, really, um, they would trump <laughs> any of my successes. I have far, far more failures than I do successes. So picking one is um, always a fun job. And I would say, I guess the, the biggest failure um, I experienced was probably um, in 2016, end of 2016, beginning of 2017. I had spent about two years in working to build a commercial renewable energy company in Eastern Africa and Uganda. And I had worked with a team of people, we'd raised millions and millions of dollars in um, investment capital to start this company, we had a feasibility study, uh, European investors, and an amazing Ugandan team of leaders. And right as we were trying to close our round of funding, and it was a $52 million raise, uh, Mm -hmm. Brexit hit. (laughs) (laughs) perfect timing oh yeah it couldn't have been worse timing brexit hit and then just shortly thereafter donald trump was elected and i remember i was sitting um in london um with one of my colleagues and we just could not close the round of funding and we had to to hit the the 52 million dollars or we could not continue forward and we went to every single investment fund we could think of and mm-hmm. just we're knocking on doors and people would open the door and basically just close it back in our face saying, do you see how devaluated our fund looks? And do you see how risky the global economy is? And we're not investing in East Africa. And, you know, despite the fact that our yeah. leadership team was so powerful in Uganda and it was such a, what we thought rock solid concept, the timing was off. And mm-hmm. um, the geopolitical state was just shifting underneath our feet. And it ended up that, Unfortunately, at the beginning of 2017, we just had to make a, a really hard decision, which was to close the project. Um, and since then, the project plans are sold and, um, you know, being used by, by someone else. But it was a really huge failure because I anticipated living in East Africa for many, many years to come, working on building out this large commercial company. Um, yeah. But that, that didn't happen. So, yeah, that was a big failure. Yeah, no, absolutely. But it seems like also the sort of thing that um, you've really sort of learned from, you've taken away and it's going to help drive you moving forward. Like, you know, it is a big experience um, that can only sort of help you grow. Yeah, yeah. It was a humbling experience. I mean, we were convinced that this was going to work and every government official we talked to 
gave the green light. We actually had a signed what's called PPA or a power purchasing agreement where the Ugandan government mm. was going to purchase all of our, our power that we produced and um, a guarantee from the World Bank. And despite all of the you know factors going in the right direction, it was just the wrong the wrong climate to be able to pull it off after Brexit, after the, um, I guess, administration shift in the United States. And it was a huge yeah. disappointment, but it just wasn't meant to be. And that was really hard to accept. But now in retrospect, yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense, but it was a very hard pill to swallow when that happened. No, absolutely. I can imagine that it would be. Uh, yeah, and I'm sure that we'll definitely dive into that a bit more. It sounds very interesting and I'd love to hear about how you actually, the mental side of things and how you overcame those sort of barriers and those sort of obstacles. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, now just we really want to touch on your legacy. So like looking forward and it's something you might not have thought about just as yet being so young, um, but if your legacy was to be summed up in about one sentence, what do you think it might be and why? Yeah. Um my legacy is to find people that have great ideas that are mm. truly going to change the world and give them all of the resources, the, the um, momentum and the ammunition they need to be successful. So in my opinion, that looks like encouraging them, working alongside them and being there for them when they encounter the really hard things that take place when you're trying to change the world. So that's what I hope yeah. my legacy will be. That's awesome. Yeah, I love it. I think you've come to Perfect Podcast to, to help move that forward. Um, so, I mean, looking back now, uh, again, you know, looking back on your 18-year-old self, if you were back there, you know, 18 or 19 years um, and you could have a conversation with them at the dinner table, what sort of advice would you give up? So... When I was 18 years old, I actually um, had raised enough money to be able to um, start a school in rural Cambodia. So when I was 16, mm -hmm. I um, was watching ABC Nightly News and saw this small segment about how in Cambodia, there was a huge lack of edu you know, primary school uh, opportunities for young children. And that was all due to the fact that Pol Pot had killed millions of people in the 1970s and the country was still experiencing res uh, residual effects of that. So yeah. I'm returning to my parents and saying, hey, I want to start a school in Cambodia. And they kind of, you know, smiled and <laughs> sure thing. Well, uh, you didn't even make the varsity basketball team. We'll see if you can uh, raise <laughs> enough money to build yeah. a school. <laughs> um, ended up, in fact, taking a year more to through big, big sales and car washes and everything you can imagine, raising enough money to then donate um, to American um, assistance for Cambodia and, and building a school. And when I was 18, I actually, actually I was 17, flew to Cambodia with my parents and dedicated the school to my mom and dad. It's called the Stephen Mary Interkin School. And that was a really monumentous moment in my life where um, I didn't know it was possible to as a young person, have an idea and just dig your heels into that idea and come hell or high water, um, that was what you were going to achieve. And I think I talked about timing earlier. The timing was right. It was right before the Great Recession in the United States. It was in 2007. Um, so it was right before everybody was really clenching their fist around their own money. 
and markets were good and people were willing to donate to a 17 year old, a 16 year old girl to raise, you know, money for a school. And I think that when, you know, 18 year old Bryn (laughs) came around, if I could, if I could go back and sit at a table with her, that, that person, that would be 10 years ago, I'm 28 years old now. Um, I would just say, Hey, Bryn, like, this isn't about you. Like the timing was right. Um, you had the right people on your team and people believed in you, but truth mm-hmm. be told, like it was the people that believed in you. It didn't have a whole lot to do with you being special or you being different yeah. or you being better. And I think after I was able to accomplish what felt like this big event of raising money and, and starting the school, I really thought this, this was me. Like I did something extraordinary, but I did very little it was the people around me that galvanized around me and for me and I think the advice I would give myself 10 years ago would be hey you be the person that helps bring ideas together and bring people together and know that like um you are you are there to to help inspire people to believe more in themselves but like ultimately you are no better than anyone else and you are you know just trying to help the world be a little better but everyone else is too. And you're just helping them be able to actualize that themselves. That's what I would tell myself. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty awesome. I think uh, I assume that, you know, if it would be pretty um, valuable if you were actually able to do that. You know, your younger self would found that um, extremely empowering and um, enlightening to be able to just sort of, in a way, lift that weight off your own shoulders um, and know mm-hmm. that, you know, you can, um, have that impact without having to sort of take on the world yourself at the same time. Yeah. And um, I think there's just a healthy, there's such a healthy dose of humility that comes with yeah. um, being in the social change space that uh, we, we always think that people that are say the head of a hedge fund or investment bankers, they're really haughty people and they're really um, maybe egocentric or what have you. But Humility, you can find the the largest hedge fund manager can have the greatest level of humility and someone that's trying to build a school is incredibly ego filled. And they're doing, yeah. you know, the outcome looks different, but your heart is not, you know, well aligned. And I think that when you're in the, I guess, social venture space, those that misalignment takes place often. And I see that. And mm. I think it's making sure that when people are trying to, to change their part of the world, or they're trying to make a difference, it's making sure that you're extremely humble in the process. The greatest leaders in the world yeah. are incredibly humble. And I think that that is important to, to young people who feel like they have to prove to the world why they are valuable or why they can make a difference. And it's like, no, you know, your youthfulness is already an advantage that you have. You have more years to explore this earth and learn. What you need to be able to show is that you're humble and you're willing to listen so that you can, you know, avoid some of the mistakes that you could be making and not even knowing. Yeah, no, I absolutely love that. And it is also a wonderful segue into what I was going to ask next, which is around um, leaders. Like you said, a leader or a couple of leaders there might be you know within your personal networks or people that are quite widely known um that you really admire and um sort of why would that be yeah yeah i mean this is going to sound really bizarre she's not super famous but um my ancestor nancy ward um is someone that is a real leader and um she's not well known she was actually a native american woman um native american meaning she was part of the 
original people of the United States. Yeah. And she ended up marrying a, um, a white guy. This was 120 years ago. And she was a Cherokee Indian. And um, she ended up being a bridge between the, the Cherokee Indian tribe and the white people, <laughs> which was a huge yeah. tension point because Cherokee Indian people, the, the tribe itself was trying to kill off um, the white people that are taking off over their land and the white people were killing off the Cherokee Indians. And yeah. it was this major, and she was sitting in the middle and she was saying, I declare peace over this nation that we will not fight over um, the land between us. We will not fight over the resources, but we will, we will come together at a table and we will discuss this as civilized people. Um, and so she was able to bring some of the uh, influential people from the tribe to the table and some of her husband's friends essentially to the table and negotiate between the two people groups because she could speak the local language and English. And she was able to declare peace and also in times of extreme famine, like share resources. And she now there's a a statue of her um, in North Georgia, but she, she left a legacy that was not, again, it was, it was, it was drenched in humility because she Mm. gave all the credit to the people that were willing to come to the table, the people that that was the hardest thing in the world for them. They rather murder the other person than have to negotiate with them. Um, And she was like, look, (laughs) on behalf of both parties, I need everyone to be silent, to think, to pray over this decision and to be civilized and discuss it. Um, And I think that that demonstrated in a time when women were not considered um, much more than property she was she was negotiating between two nations yeah um and yeah so she's a leader that i greatly admire i mean playing this sort of role now is still very admirable let alone in the 1800s um so i can just imagine you know the sort of um character that would take for someone to step into that sort of role so i can definitely Mm -hmm. you know i can definitely see why um uh, yes that's pretty awesome to hear um would you have any uh just to finish up, any productivity tips for young people? Um, I know it's something that a lot of us struggle with these days with so many distractions and so many things around us. So, um, you know, whether it be resources like podcasts or books or even just daily habits that you've got. For sure. Um, so I am not the most productive person, to be mm. honest. I <laughs> I wish I had better hacks. I mean, one thing that I do that I do think makes a difference is I turn off my phone and off my Wi-Fi, and I just concentrate on a specific project for yeah. like a chunk of time. So I think it's called um, um, chunking or something like that, where you take like two hours and you work on a specific project and you don't have any distractions. Yeah, um, and then you take a fifteen-minute break or something like that. And so I tend to try to do that: is just cut off any sort of distraction, like WhatsApp or my Slack channels or my email. Just turn off Wi-Fi and focus, and put that on my calendar so my entire team can see that, like. They're not to disturb me during that time because I will be very heads down working on a working on a project. Um, I think the other um, piece of this is that something that is not incredibly, I guess, productive in the moment, but the most important thing to invest in is relationships. And mm-hmm. I think that we tend to forget how to. Um, invest in relationships because it's just, um, you know, one text message or I'll catch them when I catch them. And then you need something from them. Like you need a connection or you need to 
ask their advice on something. And at this point, you haven't talked to this person in a year. They don't even know where you're working. They don't know what yeah. you're working on. And you're asking them a favor. And it's like to continue investing in people and showing them that you actually care and you're interested in their work um, is a really, really important hack. I, I'm One time um, I had someone tell me, Bryn, it's a lot more powerful to be interested than interesting. And mm, I, I had that. kind of always lived by this mantra that like, I need to be interesting. I need to talk about all the cool things that I'm working on, or I need to talk about living in East Africa for four years. And I need to be interesting because then people will like me. But really, yeah. it's not about being interesting. It's about being interested in the people around you. So that's a hack. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Uh, I love that. Yeah, it's sort of something very similar to what I had and what I've been told, which is, you know, try and understand before you try to be understood, um, essentially. So, yeah, like yeah. really kind of be that person that listens and soaks in all of the information and all of the experience and skills of the people around you and then give back um, in the same way instead of reciprocate. Yeah, I love that. It's pretty awesome. Thanks so much for coming on this episode. And uh, if anyone listening in really loved it, uh, be sure to listen into uh, our main discussion. Thanks for listening and don't head off just yet. It would mean the world if you could leave a review for us and take action by sharing this episode with one friend you think would benefit from it. Oh, and if you know a young changemaker who should have their story heard, get in touch with us on our website, futurescollective.com. Hope you have a great day.